You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mudsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Publishers look gay. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi, I'm Michael Jordan. Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Um, I'm just going to start quickly with an apology if um, you're out there and you're wondering what the fuck this guy said he was going to drop one every two weeks. Um, yeah, it's been a string of things. I, I, I take full responsibility um, and I'm sorry there was a gap in proceedings but uh you know life gets in the road and um anyway it's onwards and upwards i i it's, it never leaves my mind i, I you know I, I just went on a holiday i took all my gear and i didn't use it once um i just decided to have a holiday you know but uh so my guest today I suppose it's today if you're listening to it today, but I spoke to Will um, last week, last Friday. Was it Friday? I think it was, no, maybe it was Thursday. It's Thursday. I'm fucking losing my mind on the days. Um, but last Thursday, I had the good fortune of speaking with none other than Will Hannigan. Now, Will is a seriously a modern cowboy. Um, I think you're going to really enjoy my chat with Will. Will hails from the northwest of western australia and he certainly has been living a life um i currently caught him while he's been in melbourne he's been in melbourne for a while will's one of those people that i've known about for some time and he's been on the horse's mouth hit list and um i was helping a friend with some he was doing some renovations um the other week and so we were a, a few of a few of us got together to help him pour some concrete internally into his house he's doing a house reno and you know did a ring in and one of my other mates said that he'd been seeing will and going to the gym with him in melbourne and i was like oh my god you've got to ask will if he would come on the horse's mouth and thankfully he did so that's how that all came about it was all pretty serendipitous and, I, and i'm stoked Thank you, Buzz, that, um, that that just haphazardly was a byproduct of giving Eddie a hand. So you just never know. Um, anyway, uh, wherever you are out there in the world, I hope this finds you well. Um, what else is happening? Not too much. Saw Top Gun last night, and i got to say it was, you know, the cheese factor was right up there, and I, I just feel so bad in saying it, but I loved it. You know, I just, like, it was cheesy as it was. And I was like, why is this pulling up my heartstrings? But, you know, it was Top Gun. And, um, you know, look, as far as sequels go, it was a definite pass. Like, you've seen a million sequels that have just been epic fails. And I, I think, you know, and when I heard Top Gun was coming out, I thought this was going to be an epic fail. But, no. Nah. I mean, if you can just, you know, suspend... um you know your sense of reality and go on that journey um it's it's a bit of war fun and we all know war's not fun but you know the way that they paint it um makes you want to be a fighter pilot you know brings out that little like uh you know it's fucking pathetic but you know if you grew up with top gun there's a real sense of nostalgia in there anyway um no doubt you've seen it or if you haven't it's worth um some 
some viewing for sure. Anyway, uh, I won't crap on any more. I'll let you enjoy the conversation I had with Will, and thanks for listening. Okay, ciao. Is, is interesting? Wow. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total farfarama. That's been the, probably the last two years. You know, I've just started since I'm here in Australia again, uh, looking into peptides. So, I don't know. I think I think they're pretty good. Um, yeah, there's four compounds that I'm interested in and experimenting with at the moment. So it's CJC1295, which is a growth hormone fragment, and that will more or less stimulate your pituitary gland directly to stimulate, like to double pump growth hormone. And so you take it at night before you sleep and you get like a double dose of growth hormone and it's working. Like I just love it. It feels good. Um, so hold on. Um, just, uh, I'm very interested in this and yeah. <laughs> help with uh, like injury recovery. Everything just, it, it will naturally, yeah, it'll naturally you'll, you'll heal faster did you like vitality come back? Like yeah. you feel like you're a bit younger. You got a little bit more. St- oh, you get that. You, you're waking up like I'm on with your tent pole. Like everything, everything, yeah. everything starts working. You, you're feeling great. You're waking up like almost, almost to the point of like I wouldn't say aggression, but definitely, <laughs> oh, don't definitely feel. I definitely start to feel like you know. I, I just had to start drinking more water and trying to mellow out a bit, and maybe have even less coffee just because of that, like try to cut back to one coffee a day. But I can go in the gym and just go till I vomit, and that's sort of the goal. And, and I reckon without it, I probably wouldn't be doing those two to three workouts. So I've spent a couple of years trying to build my body up so that I can work at a higher capacity. Like, you know, I'm kind of training like a CrossFit athlete or like a, you know, sort of low-level AFL sort of thing. But, yeah, you go, go you know, you can go pretty hard. So there's that one. So can I okay, you- CJC1295. Yeah, do you need a prescription for that? Yeah, you just go to TaylorMade Health and, and, you know, you go get a – here in Glenfrey Road and they'll write you up and you go down to the coma compounding. You can buy them on, online, but you're just never going to get the same quality. And they all probably come from China. but So the Chinese actually created it for that spectacular 2008 Olympics where the Chinese the, swimmers the just took everything out and yeah. they just came out with huge shoulders. So it legitimately is just – compounds of amino acids what happens if you take it you're not training flat stick um you probably just lose a bit of fat and probably get a bit of tone so if you're just taking it and surfing you'd be fine yeah i mean it's it's for daily but i i'm trying to get the most daily like for it's for daily use oh daily use right yeah so it's for for daily i am taking four different compounds daily is that injections yeah wow in your butt in my stomach. In so your stomach, you, you, so it's sub- like insulin. Yeah, it's, it is an insulin needle. It's no different to injecting insulin, yeah. And so do they give it to you in a pen and you just dial it in? No, I mean, we'll do some now. I'm about to go to the gym in a couple of hours, so I want to shoot up some CJC because I didn't take it last night. I've sort of just started getting loosey-goosey with my sessions and like, yeah, I'm nearly run, running out of this prescription. I've got to get another month's worth, so I'm just like trying to taper it. Can you take, can you have, um, can you do it for a month and then take time off? I'd try for three months and yeah. then take three months off if you want. Um, I'm probably going to do maybe six months and then take two or three months off. I guess it depends. If I start traveling again and go to Europe, which I'm trying to plan to do, then I'll probably um, 
you take a bit of time off. If I'm not training... I love it. I find this hugely fascinating. Yeah. So that's only the first one. So CJC1295, and this is pretty much what all the Essendon boys were on. It was like a bit of a stack, as I'd say. And then BPC157, the body protecting compound. So that's specifically for your injuries. And when I had this piriformis thing happen, I just started injecting it directly into the skin above where the injury was. And like within two weeks, I was feeling better. I mean, I also did a bloodletting ritual, like did like a, a wet cupping where I had a guy come over and lacerate my back and then put suction cups on and suck out for about a litre of blood. So, Are you kidding? That probably, yeah, right here, yeah. <laughs> but hold on. So that, like around the same time, and that, that definitely helped. Like within two days after doing that, I felt amazing. What was the deal with bloodletting? Because mm. blood's coming out from everywhere, I'm imagining, or is it taking poisonous blood out of that area? I yeah, I've got. I can send you. I've got thirty pages of this sort of scientific research article where they talk about it, and but a lot of it comes down to to hearsay and just and generally what the recipient will feel. Um, they've talked a lot about nitric oxide release and about how lacerating the skin sends a lot of like good, um, not like what is it, not serotonin, but maybe like it'll it'll send like feel good hormones to your body maybe to try and help you heal or definitely releases your blood pressure so they reckon it's really good for your heart um, uh, just driving here i was talking to someone and um they were telling me that their son suffers from this thing where the face goes red uh-huh. and he'd been reading online and the capillaries and he'd been slightly lacerating his face to yeah. try and let it out and they're horrified yeah, and but it's just weird that they were just telling me this on the phone, and now you're telling me this. It sounds like he might be onto something. Yeah, I think I think slight laceration. I mean, if you go back to a lot of tribal um, things, they did it through the skin, you know, like tribal scarring. And I mean, I'm sure you would definitely get a release of it. I mean, you can get a bullet ant and attach it to your skin, like put your hand in a nest of bullet ant, so you can, you know, the Aborigines from where I'm from, they cut their skin and and rub. Um, ash and you know different poisonous saps from trees into the into the wound to make it scarify and get really thick and you know it's part of like i think it's part of our ritualistic behavior that we do these sorts of things and you can choose whether you want to do that or go around drinking and inject botox into your face so, you know it's like yeah 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 many different things you can do yeah we're all weird animals <laughs> we are but i think like i like the naturalistic uh, element like does the ash and all that create some sort of like immunity also to help build immunity because you know like they say when you're a kid you should be eating dirt and fucking all the different things to build up your immunity i don't uh, i don't think the ash is generally just to make the scar sit up a bit higher to give it like a thick it's like a tattoo yeah, yeah essentially yeah do you have tats? No. Yeah, me neither. I love them, but I just can't get one. I want to get it like half a dozen on my fingers one day. So when you're wearing like a leather jacket and you look like a gangster, like people will like check your hands out and they're like, holy fuck, he's got like full arm, full sleeves, like where you can't see. So I think just a couple. And then worst case scenario, you just put a ring on to cover it. I think you look pretty gangster anyway, Will. Oh, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here in the gym. That's the key. <laughs> Got the, got the got the pump. So, okay, you told me about two of them. You said there was one. One was for healing, and what was the... Yeah, BPC-157, which is for healing. And then 
just in the last month, I've started trying these two other new ones. So there's thymosin beta-4, which is otherwise known as TB500, which is supposed to be great for like immune. And yeah, I've been feeling pretty good. I had a mate from Horsham come here and he ended up getting COVID and I didn't get COVID. So fuck it, definitely helped with that. But it might have also been the same strain I had. I don't know. But um, yeah, I've just been feeling pretty good. So TB500 is more just for your general boost of immunity. And then AOD9604 is... How do you remember all these names? I don't know. (laughs) And then AOD9604 is a fragment of a growth hormone compound as well, or fragment of human growth hormone. Yeah. Which is, I think, what CJC1295 is too. So they're growth hormone-releasing peptides. Like HGH sort of stuff. Yeah, but HGH is pretty strong. Like that's what most of those bodybuilder guys are on. Those dudes that get real big, jacked. Like they just start getting thick everywhere. Their face grows. Like you get all these. You know, the only problem is if you take too much of that sort of stuff. Probably CJC and these things will do it too. Like if you overdose on them, like take too much, you're probably going to get like organ growth. If you have cancer, it's probably going to start growing a little faster. Um, is this all with any of them or just some of the more potent <clears throat> ones? They're too new to really find out. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm only just experimenting with them and, you know, it's like I don't drink anymore. I don't really touch any other stuff. I'm not really interested in anything other than, like, training. So this is something that's just giving me that good stimulation and I'm getting a result out of it. And I don't feel like I'm actually pushing my body into a too far that I'm breaking it down that I'm actually it's like part of an anti-aging protocol and I think in the future like everyone should be doing it sports people everyone should be doing it they should be taking small doses of testosterone and small doses of growth hormone in order to stay young I mean there's a guy who the guy who like was first can't remember his name some doctor but he's going around he's like 90 years old and he started taking human growth hormone 30 years ago and he hasn't aged for 30 years like he's got some like 30 year old girlfriend he's 90 he's probably really wealthy as well that helps but apparently it's just like some 60 year old like he just hasn't aged so I think if we get smart with it and start looking into these things you might as well and then you stay fucking young and you know it's good for your head good for your brain fuck feel good I'm into it. I was like, and look, I know this guy isn't on any of that, but I just like the idea of aging well. There was a guy out at Bell's last night till dark. Uh, We were like the last two out and he's 80. I love that. I love love that surf at dusk where it's it's like- But he's 80. Yeah. And I was just like, oh man, I just like, I take my hat off to, you know, I don't know too many 80-year-olds are still fucking out there swinging it. Yeah. Well, it's probably like the actual- effort of going out there and surfing is keeping you young too and if you find something you love and like someone who's out surfing at dusk obviously loves it yeah yeah, yeah. i always get afraid of sharks i mean like as soon as the water gets dark there's something that rises in me and like i love the totemic aspect of the shark and the crocodile like they're sort of death incarnate they're shiva i think that whole ocean is shiva like the ocean is this crystal like blue salt crystal and it's vibrating at this frequency that created life or life on the planet. And that's probably where all the aliens live underwater too. But like, I think... Um, I don't know if you're fucking around or not, but I kind of believe that. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't fuck around when it comes to aliens. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, like there's, this, there's something about the ocean where 
and like you know with surfing on it like there's this obviously once you get into the into the you're you're literally in tune with the universe when you catch a wave because that wave is just in this perfect perfect harmony in fact like in my like strongest ayahuasca trips in the amazon my whole vision was of surfing and like the strong message came through and it's like there's the dark of the underneath the unknown the black and then there's the white of light above you you know and then you're just perfectly surfing on the surface of that and that is life life is that is surfing in its own way but like that metaphor of the water and and the sky and like mm. you know you can't live underwater we can't live there it's this place of death and like, i know lots of people that have drowned and yeah yeah well um, when you're sitting out there in dusk and you're alone and you just have to accept that this beauty that i'm sitting in right now far outweighs me turning around paddling scared yeah so you're just like it's oh, that acceptance, which is... Weird. And what about when you see the shark and you stay there and you just choose to stay once you've seen a shark come through and you're like, I'm not going in. I don't think I'd do that in Victoria. Yeah. Because I know the shark will be pretty fucking big. Yeah. I've, I've done it a couple of times in... Um, I was, used to surf Sunset Point, sort of Malibu, sort of... Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, the Pacific Palisades and it'd yeah. be beautiful dusk. And these little juvenile great whites would jump out of the water. Oh, yeah, but I, was, yeah. I, I like stand up. Like I don't put my feet in the water. I have enough of a phobia for sharks. Like I ride like Malibu occasionally, but I'm, I just get on a stand up and I'm that dude wearing a Speedo. I stand up <laughs> like just rude as fuck. Just like, yeah, but, uh, like just, just, just being rude and obnoxious and catching all waves and like. Uh, unreal. Yeah, just getting old blokes like trying to have a go you know i love it so going back with the ocean connection you've spent you grew up with the ocean is this this is yeah. right in the northwest yeah. wa yeah and like even my on my mother's side my aboriginal family we are the custodians of of the coast of the peninsula dampier peninsula sorry exactly dampier is is that broom yeah it's broom and up north from there like it's this whole coastline dampier was a um cool pirate you know we're talking about pirates back in the day william dampier he's a guy to look up because he'd gone on behalf of the of more or less the queen had like drake like they'd paid him to go and try and snipe all the all the spanish galleons coming from jamaica and from from south america with all all the gold at that time like they were just it was just a gold pipeline of these ships coming back from south america and the english wanted to get in on it so they actually had these privateers, which is where the word pirate kind of came from, to go over to more or less hang out off the coast of Jamaica and the Caribbean and take out these these like galleons that were just chock-a-block full of gold. And from there, obviously, these guys didn't give everything back and they just became, you know, private travelling, like, dudes in the 1600s, like 100 years before Bloody Cook came here and they were going around all around Australia and they, and they were like going to the west coast northwest coast and like if you go up there all these like da- like it's all these like Dutch like Hartog Island there's all mm-hmm. these Dutch and old English names and French names these dudes were here a hundred years before the yeah, British yeah. came and claimed it doesn't it shit you the, the history that we're sold yeah I mean you got to get sold the British colonial dream in, in a way and 
yeah, the more I think about it, the more I realise like Australia is like a big colony. We're obviously a colony, but we're still very much like a mental prison. And like you just kind of got to... Do you notice that between going from here to America, right? Yeah, America yeah. was built on be free and do what you want, prosper, yeah. and we were here, sent here to be fucking locked up. Yeah, yeah. And you still, I still feel it in a mentality. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've tuned, tuned it out a bit, but it's definitely there, and it's like that... Unless it's a tall poppy, what like I mean, but it's just in our very nature. I mean, it's it's the Australian way. Like because I grew up in Darwin and Broome, um, and a bit in Perth too. They're much more like like pioneer towns, like sort of the edge. A bit like the difference between California and New York State. That's the Wild West, man. Yeah, it's fucking epic. The Western Australia is the best state in Australia, hands down. Yeah, yeah. There's two million people, and it's the size of. The whole east east coast half of know. Australia, yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the same size as Queensland, Victoria, and New South Wales. Yeah, and there's probably twenty million on this side, and probably more, probably twenty two million. It's just abundance, and just like it's so raw, and you know, like wild. This is the last, I reckon, wild frontier still is yeah. wildness. Yeah, I mean, I grew up when I was going to boarding school in Perth when I was like 10, 11, 12, 13. 14 before I before I came over and started going to school in Geelong but like I, I think back and man we were just crazy like we'd I, my uncle would drop me and my cousin off when we were like 11 10 11 like two or three k's off the coast and we'd swim in with a spear gun and just like a rope and just catch fish like cuttlefish and and spear all kinds of fish and just let them hang and just keep swimming all the way in and I remember like even like 10 years ago when I was doing this diving course because um, I'd sort of moved away from pearl diving into trying to get like oil and gas and I wanted to do the top level where you go do saturation diving so you sort of get in a chamber for a month and I've got a few mates that do it and they're braver than I am but I, I can't actually just the whole mentality of um, oil and gas is different to like pearling like pearling's much more cowboy in its aesthetic and um much more free, but like with oil and gas and a lot so of ex navy per- dudes. Cut you off. I'm just going to try and get an understanding. Like Purling's when you're going along, you're all got um, a, a line off the boat and you're going along combing the bottom yeah. together as a team. And then you come up and it's who's got the most sort of comp- competitive. Yeah, it's pretty competitive, but yeah, you do that. You That's- got a head diver. And, and then, so the oil, what do you mean by oil and gas? So there's a lot of work on the big oil rigs for divers who go down and they more or less fit all the, like, pipe fitting. So you're fitting a lot of the, and and sort of maintenance and checking checking on, on all these big oil pipes on the way down and making sure that they're all sealed and the gas pipes and, you know, doing surveying. But it's crazy work. And when you're doing saturation diving, which was, you know, when I did all the, all the courses, so for the couple, uh, three, four months, I was in, in Fremantle and diving, I was in the water every day and like just preparing myself to start doing offshore oil and gas work. And um, hold on, you were just telling me before you're scared of sharks. Yeah, and I then, fucking hate sharks. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then you know, you're telling me that you were swimming a couple of k's in, and you go. That was before I was. That was when I was young. Like, I mean, I've always been around. Like, we have had divers get eaten by sharks and things. But what, what do you mean, like off the boats? When yeah, we've had divers disappear and like either. One definitely got hit 
by a big tiger and they found his head in the tiger shark. And I remember I was 10 and my dad got the call because he was like managing all the farms and all the boats and everything. And when it happened and we went into the police station, I was like 10 and I saw this diving vest and it just was shredded and the hydraulic fittings were pulled out. So something had like pulled this hydraulic fitting out, which is like tons of power and pressure to do that. So it was like a big shark, big tiger. And I've been underwater and like been bumped by big tiger sharks at, at different points in my life. And, you know, it's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm super interested in this. So you've done the, obviously, so I'm going to just get a clearer picture here. So you, when you grew up, your dad had uh, the pearl, a pearling business. I don't yeah, know he's part of yeah, he's part of a big pearling company. Yeah, so he's yeah, like since he was in his early twenties, he sort of married into it, and then just stayed in in the family business from yeah when he was early twenties, twenty one, twenty two. And so you say there's two things happening that I could just pick up quickly. There's farming and 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 the, boats. Yeah, so we collect the wild oyster from the bottom of the ocean, and so that's the yeah the the diving component and there's a you know three or four diving boats with eight divers on each boat and those boats go out and and they're sort of you know they they have their diving season which goes from march april so the end the end of the wet season the start of the dry season so there's significantly less um cyclones and irrigangi you know super deadly venomous jellyfish the yeah, size yeah. of your pinky nail that you can't even see like i've had a cousin swallow one once like at the bottom like what, did what happened did his stomach acid kill it or did he die no he he um what did he do he wrapped his hand he he felt this stinging pain in his throat and he started black he couldn't breathe so he wrapped his hand around his work line because you're getting dragged behind the boat and then everyone else came up and like, where's Shannon? And Shannon's not here. So my uncle, who's his dad, dived back down and brought him up and he was out. So they had to give him like mouth to mouth and they actually like, I think they gave him like a, one of those Pulp Fiction like yeah, injections uh, of uh, adrenaline. adrenaline yeah, into the heart and brought him back. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. But he's a wild dude, that Shannon. Like he's, yeah. Really? Ab- Aboriginal kid. Like he's amazing. Like he, he would have, if he hadn't got into like bong so early, he probably would have been playing for West Coast, you know. But then like that kind of led into like a bit of a schizophrenic thing, and uh. like he ended. I, I remember going to visit him in Perth, and there was like he was like dealing for the bikies, and he had a corner of a room in his bedroom was filled up with fireworks, which is like you know it's black fella gold man. Fireworks are cool. I love so, fireworks. <laughs> yeah. So so he had all these fireworks and he was living with his grandma and grandpa and they're like you got to get rid of them fireworks. And so we're like all right we're going to get rid of them. So we I think I was even like kind of implicated cuz I I had this ute and I was were walking loading all this all these fireworks out and the cops just walk up on us and so his grandma had called the cops and they come in and we've got fireworks and he probably had a deal bag in the house and like we, everyone just scatters and I'm like st- left there holding his fireworks. I'm like, we're actually removing these right now. And that's fine. But you know, they're very fucking illegal in WA. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. I'm just going to leave them here and go. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So Shannon's, I mean, he's a wild dude, but um, yeah, Irigangi jellyfish are like, 
He was all, he lived. pretty bad. Oh, he's he's lived. I mean, he's he's like another level of dude. Like he's a he's pretty shamanic. Like he's yeah, he's an, he's another level. He sort of like blends that that edge of insanity and like genius. He's like one of those dudes, and and spirituality as well. Like he's deeply into his own like version of Aboriginal culture. That like. You know, I, he tells me stories about that are like basically dream time. Like he talks about these things that he sees when he goes out in the bush. And you don't know whether he's like just tripping hardcore. And he probably is. So he goes walk about? Yeah. Yeah. So he's done a lot of his own, own sort of things. I, mean, I think we all have really like, you know, in our own way. But he's definitely, he has definitely seen and like, and, and he's like one of those guys who's a storyteller for me. Like one of my connections and I have a few of these these people in my life who are like connections to the other side. Yeah, you know? that's great. Yeah. yeah, everyone needs that. You know, totally. you, need, you need your shamans. Yeah, but you, you know, I've I've had spiritual teachers as well, and different like in yogi form and like Indian dudes and all that. But I, for me, it's always like I'm attracted to that like wild craziness that Dennis Hopper energy you know like yeah, it's gotta yeah, be it's yeah. gotta be coming oh, through man. rough and rugged it's gotta it's gotta uh, have some stories it's gotta be you know about the end of Apocalypse Now he yeah. was a great man yeah. he's, he's fucking on edge in that yeah. film yeah and then after that the last thing he that was after that he went on this hiatus and moved to Taos in New Mexico which is pretty amazing in itself and um, I've been to that house and checked all like where he went and then he didn't make another film until was it Blue Velvet, and until that scene when he walks into the room in, in Blue Velvet and he's dragging this bottle of like I don't know what it's supposed to be ether or like I don't know like what's that stuff? There? Have you ever, Amel? Have you ever sniffed Amel? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's got this. Uh, it might even just be oxygen, but it just comes in and yeah. it's just all this weird sexual vibe and so to go from like apocalypse now to that like yeah yeah I mean, for me i think he's the greatest in hollywood but it's part of that story like you know he's got that sort of that that intertwined story not kind of like cain and abel or when you get into the dark side of like the illuminati they say oh you know you have to sacrifice somebody close to you in order to reach your sort of reach your your peak level in hollywood you know whoa whoa whoa. i've never heard that what oh it's some dark shit come on no no, i love this shit (laughs) so for him it would go back to james dean because like he was like intertwined with like with james dean and and you know pretty much james dean's best friend and then when james dean died he became like the like i i think he kind of like had this like soul attachment to him and then he just became this amazing actor in himself but also like you know he's a cultural icon definitely for the 60s like he created the first indie film pretty much i mean they're probably doing you mean easy rider easy rider yeah like he wrote it and peter fonda there's some good dudes behind that but what about Jack Nicholson in that? Just in his fucking suit with a ball, uh, gridiron helmet yeah. on, just fucking upright. Yeah, well, like, yeah, he just, rep- he, I don't know. For me, he represented, like, the the drunks. Like, kind of like he was, like, he. I mean, he definitely was a drunk in that film, but and then kind of like he just re- represented, like, yeah, drunks in general. And they're sort of like, they come along for the ride. He's, he was part of that scene, but... 
that was like, yeah, they they were on that journey towards like, I don't know, they, they were going to die in New Orleans where they, you know, get shot. And so they're heading towards this, this death scene and they, they end up tripping on acid in the, in the cemetery and sort of seeing glimpses of their future death. Mm. Yeah, I fucking love that film, like in terms of, like he probably wrote it, I think he did, like wrote it in three days, coked up in a bathroom. You know, they just used to lock themselves yeah, into a right. room and do copious amounts of very good quality cocaine that no one can get these days. But they just do that. And, and, you know, pump out a film. We're not coming out of here until we've got something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it works. It works. People write films like that all the time when they do, like, you know, like Jack Kerouac did that with um, On the Road. Like, apparently, he, he said, like, he lived for seven years, eight years, that lifestyle, but then he wrote it in, like, three weeks. Yeah. Just with heaps of speed and just sat there and smashed it down on the keyboard. And, Is that right? He's and I think speed. it was just like on one long piece of paper and some, like that paper's somewhere, somewhere like in a museum and it's just Jack Kerouac's like no no full stops, no commas. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Punch it out. <laughs> um, fucking how do we get here? I don't know. No, it's good. So um, that we, I think we digress <clears throat> from- about crazy people. And the yeah. Irawanji- uh, Irigangi, Irigangi. Yeah. Wanjana. They're Wanjana. They're those like spirit. They're the spirit um, sort of like ghosts or the spirit people that the, the Aboriginal artists, they draw that. Yeah, so those, they're like, a, um, you know, and people say that there were aliens. If you look at them, they kind of have this alien eye or that in, in another time. My I dog like, has a similar on its head. Like that. Has that a cone. A, oh. a, this no, this no. Like she's got a little alien tattoo thing on her hair that we always go. That looks like an alien face. Like looks yeah. like that face of that. Wanjana, nice. I'll show you when we go out. <laughs> yeah, I want to see it. I, yeah, Angie Wanjana. Well, I know, man. I just think that you know, I love that train of thought because I feel like we're so lost. When you know, like, sure, we've got like you know, comfortable living, but I feel like the real connection to earth and well the more that we move towards a tech like the more that we rely on technology the more that we're lost from our true self which is na- like to be one with nature and so yeah i firmly believe that that we have to be the the deeper that we can connect with nature be in nature honor nature you know be around it like live in it live with it in the cycle and you know it's great actually being stuck in Australia for the last couple of years um, just I've spent time with all these old Greek dudes who have been growing their gardens in Windsor since like the 50s 60s or something and they're just so in tune with the times that you have to plant the seeds to grow the best crops and like when to weed and when to like you know just, they just know everything about yeah they're in flow they're in the flow perfect sync with nature mm. you know and to receive its abundance, you know, through growing there. I mean, they've got honey and olives and figs, um, tomatoes, beans, like all kinds of stuff. And they're just growing it in the ground in their backyards and they're like it's in perfect flow. And I think we can all be in that. You know, that's that's happiness. Well, I think, you know, the, the, it's a choice. And I think, you know, there's a whole lot of us going back to wanting to be more connected that way. And then there's another half that's racing to get um, 
connected their watch with their phone yeah. kind of. Well, I had this vision when I was on ayahuasca and I think it was a lot of like a like a fantasy script almost. But there was like two halves of society and also in this psychedelic vision, mermaids had kind of shown themselves and, and we were communicating perfectly with dolphins. So I don't know how far into the future this is. But there was, and there were also aliens that had become like aware, present. We become very aware that there were multiple species of different humanoids, or whatever you want to say, like aliens from different different dimensions, different planets. And so, in this whole trip, there were like these sort of yogi kind of hippie people that were more on the side, like the two different factions, warring factions, and there was like. These like people that spoke with the dolphins and connected with these mermaids, sort of like civilization, like kind of Aquaman shit. And then there was this other side that were like the aliens that wanted us to upload our consciousness and go to Mars and move move off the planet because there was this like impending doom here. But they were like kind of it was like a trap, and so we actually right. had to be more in alignment with like the sort of dolphin people and like the Aquaman sort of crew. This was in an ayahuasca trip. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking awesome. Yeah, and I was like, fuck, this is like a crazy sci-fi script. You know, you could kind of write on it and I just started thinking about like how crazy it is. And then the problem is like when you live in Hollywood, you just hear shit like this all the time. Like you'd be sitting down in a cafe and you're like overhearing some writer talk to their agent about some idea they have. You know, like, this fucking person is insane. Like they're just talking, like, like kind of crazy shit. And you're like, I'm gonna go mad just listening to, like, overhearing this person. I need to move away. And so, you know, you kind of have your crazy, crazy stories, like the one I just told you. And you're like, that's kind of a funky trip, funky dream, you know. But do you want to like invest ten years of your life trying to create it? Probably not. <laughs> Well, or lock yourself up in the bathroom with Coke for three days and just burn it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just get the synopsis. <laughs> um, I had an I had an idea of not the same, but that, that there was these um, AI that had got advanced and they would come and kill us. But if you weren't on social media, they couldn't see you. So they were using your blueprint from social media and in your blueprint on the internet to come and kill. But if you didn't have that footprint, they couldn't see you. Yeah, well, that's pretty much what they say. I mean, that was an idea I had driving a tractor. Yeah, I mean, when, when I was yeah, on a tractor, <laughs> I, I love, I love that white noise of a machine that just sends you off. <laughs> Fucking totally. like when you're on a boat and you're on and you're steaming for like you know across the Bonaparte. Gulf, so from the north end of the Kimberley across back to Darwin, it's like a 14-hour steam. And that white noise of the steaming engine, you just start tripping, like your yeah. mind's gone. But, um, <laughs> the brain yeah, just goes. They, they pretty much have proven that, like, you know, the CIA and everyone is, in, like, they, they want they want social media. They want you to put all your details out there. That's no secret, you know, like, well, definitely. It makes it fucking easy to find people. Yeah, I mean, the Amazon... Oh, no, the Amazon. There's Amazon and Google, and they both have, I think, equally had contracts with the Pentagon in order to um, house the cloud for the Pentagon. And so if the Pentagon... So it's kind of like a two-way street, you know? Like, if the Pentagon is happy to give Amazon all its data, you don't think Amazon or Google have given all its data 
to the Pentagon. I mean, it's kind of they're, they're like hands in hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. they have got amounts of money that like are enough to control large nations, and so I just figure you have to understand. I mean, it's it's fine. It's just the way that we've moved towards this corporate autocracy. And well, is this yeah. what Assange Assange got in trouble for? Well, Assange essentially got in trouble for showing collateral damage and that they were killing civilians oh, in Afghanistan. That's right, yeah. And probably Syria, and they've done everywhere like with the drones and pretty much just shown how bad, like... I mean, essentially, I think Obama was in power at that point, but, you know, he's... I think... I mean, I'm, I'm apolitical, but definitely both sides are equally equally as bad when it comes to bloodthirsty warlords that America is, you know, they kind of, they go for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I did, was it some of that, the footage where it was just like, and, and he showed the people who were behind. Yeah, Banksy actually did a recreation of it and showed it somewhere in New York and had it like projected on a screen with like a burnt out car. And I think that was the best work that Banksy's ever done. And like, I mean, I don't know. I love Assange and I'm like free Assange all the way. And I was like, I wouldn't say I... Well, how can you have freedom of speech? Yeah. I mean, they they gave the, they gave like some sort of time thing to Zuckerberg, man of the year or whatever, the same year that they'd called Assange the enemy of the state and... You know, they try to link him to Russia and all that's bullshit. I mean... No, they just didn't they, want blood on their hands or they didn't want to be shown as the ruthless bad person that they, they quite often are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to not be political in this day and age, but essentially, like, yeah, I would have... I would have... If, if Trump had pardoned Assange instead of some of his corporate crony mates, I might have had some respect for him leaving office. I mean, a little... Almost, but he didn't, and so like all these cutards that say, "Oh, he's just fucking like he's done this and that," is Batman. It's like, nah. He's like, just if you get into power, it's only to you know for one reason only, and it's to get more power and to get more money and to help your mates out that are going to give you millions of dollars in favors. And that's you know that's what politics is. It's not about helping everyday people. They're there to help a corporation get more control sell your data you know like uh, this is why we're in a prison <laughs> it was pretty spooky there at the end i actually had a fair bit of fear that trump wasn't gonna leave yeah like it was looking like like for me i was like is this motherfucker gonna just be like i ain't leaving yeah he's got some very interesting followers too like i don't know they, they say that not all trump supporters are racist which i think is a fair fact because you know i've met a few and there's a lot of just diehard Republicans that are going to follow the red tie no matter who wears it, you know. But definitely all racists are Trump supporters, you know, so it's kind of... Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if they're... they're, And they tend to be the the dumber. Yeah, it's an interesting... It's an interesting conundrum we live in. But if 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 he comes back and runs in 2024, I don't know. I'm worried. Yeah. I'm worried, but we digress. Now, so tell me, now, you were living in the West and 
you made your way over this way. Like, so did you go back after school and keep working in the West? Yeah, when I left school, I went straight back to Perling, and then I. And was that on the boats or farms? Yeah, on the boats. Yeah. And I, did, I just did a bit of everything on the boats, on the farms. Um, and then I actually met one of my, like, dad's Japanese clients, and he gave me, like, an opportunity to go to Japan um, the next year to go and work in Japan. Perling? Yeah. To, and for me, it was just more about learning about how to wholesale pearls or to actually... Because pearls, like, there's a raw product where you sort of buy and sell by the weight, and that's, like, the basic wholesale business. Not by pearl. When they're really nice, they are, but a lot of, like, there's only sort of 5%, 10% of the pearls that are very nice where you sort of sell them one piece at a time. Um, but majority of, like, 80 90% of the pearls, you're sort of moving in, in, in weights of, like, stranding material, and you pull those, you make those strands up, and then they're really nice... You sort of pair everything first, try and find the best pairs or the really nice single pieces that might be a ring or a pendant. And then once you've sort of pulled all those really, we call like gem pieces and take the cream out, then you have the stranding material. So you try to make strands out of out of the leftovers. Um, and then, yeah, then you sort of have, there's like, you know, a certain percentage that might be sort of rubbishy shapes or, or something that you might have to set into a ring or set oh, to offshot offset the to kind of like blemish. cover yeah to cover the blemishes yeah but it still might be a nice pearl um, depending on you know what parcel you get and you know I hadn't learned how to do that yet I was sort of only 18 uh, 19 and so I went to Japan and learned how to do all that and uh, yeah just love Japan like that's definitely my creative home is Japan I've never been, but I just hear such amazing things about Japan. I just yeah. can't wait to well, go. Well, it's like Tokyo. Tokyo for me is definitely that, but also Kobe, which is sort of like if, you know, if Melbourne, it's very similar. So like there's Tokyo, it's like Sydney, and then you go south 600 Ks and you have Osaka, which is like Melbourne. And then you go across the bay to the other side and that's Kobe, which is kind of like Geelong. Yeah, right. So it's very okay. similar. So yeah. in my head, it was yeah. like I went to school in Geelong and then I w- went to school in Kobe and sort of learned the pearl industry like yeah, right. in the same way. Yeah. But Kobe is amazing. Like They got hit in 94 by a mad um, earthquake. But you can't really like – I think the Japanese government had a lot of money back then and put uh, – they definitely did and put a lot of infrastructure into Kobe and it's like this very – for a small city of like probably a couple million, it's pretty like pretty. It's pretty good, good layout. I just love it. It's got a good feel. You can kind of walk everywhere there, and there's like cool little little train system. They got great food, like just amazing, beautiful seafood. Awesome, really cool. Like little vintage shops everywhere. You know, it's fun. I used to buy a lot of vinyl there. Yeah, it's good. And so, was is is that where you learnt more about the the jewelry aspect of? This, the, I suppose you know you've got two parts to this business. There's the actually getting the pearls, sourcing them, selling them, and then having them created into something. Yeah, yeah. it's where where I understood about how to how to sell pearls essentially as well, like making them up into saleable items because you don't want to buy a loose bag of pearls, but you might want to buy a necklace or a ring or an earring, you know, like a set of earrings. So, can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. 
you know you sold my mum a couple of pearls i remember yeah yeah so i think you sold them to her i think she had them made into earrings yeah and do you know what happened to those no this is really trippy she told me the other day she lost them on a beach in broome oh well that's they went home they went home (laughs) isn't that bizarre that they went all the way back to where they came from yeah and the crazy thing is that women in broome they like pearls are just what you wear like like i don't i like i guess women in broome don't do handbags they don't spend five grand or two three grand on a handbag but they'll spend money on jewelry and there's probably 18 jewelry shops in a town of 10 15,000 people so everyone wears pearls and they all wear them when they swim so women wear pearl earrings in the water they wear pearl necklaces in the water and it's really funny because they go to america or even here and they're like can i wear my necklace while like can i get it wet in the shower I'm like it's from the ocean <laughs> you might have to restring it you know a little quicker but i mean i'm wearing my necklace i've worn it for the last two years and I'll go like swim long distance ocean. I surf in it. You know, it's fine. Durable. Yeah, they're Durable, tough. Yeah. It all between. What, what what do you put in between? What's the what's the what goes through it? Oh you, yeah, you um, string it with like a nylon silk mix. It has to be a mix of nylon silk. Silk. Yeah. Wow. But the nylon makes it strong. I think the silk is just probably tradition. Uh-huh. Probably. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So then Japan was an amazing experience for you. Yeah, so I spent time there and, and then, um, yeah, and then I, I think I, I came back to Melbourne and tried to go to university and I didn't really feel it. And I think part of it was that there was just like mad clubbing happening at the same time. I guess that happens for everyone when they're young, but there was just such a good scene in Melbourne for clubs, you know, early 2000s, late, even like late 90s, 99, 2000, 2001, 2000, pretty much about 2005. So I just went out four nights a week. And just danced. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> and I, I don't know. I think at some point I just, like, after a few months, I realized, like, I, I had designs and ideas that I'd already started making jewelry up for. And I was like, I just want to start making jewelry. Just, you know, it's like a great, I mean, it's always felt like a hobby as well. Like, it's never felt like proper work. But obviously I get a lot of pride out of, like, over the past yeah, it's probably nearly 20 years of like designing things that I've actually created like a core collection where I have a signature ring and a signature necklace and a style. And I've managed to infiltrate the American fashion market or the global fashion market actually in a way that I've seen my designs being projected like all the way through to like Mickey Moto, like the best pearl brand in the world doing copies of like their version of a design that i created for a a, you know another jeweler when i did a partnership with them to supply them pearls and then to like you know the coolest fashion house in paris doing like you know the coolest shit and they have their version of you know with plastic pearls but of course they can't afford the good shit so I'm, i'm cool with that like you know copy it with your shit it's like housewives with their own like little wannabe jewelry brands doing their version of it with freshwater pearls or whatever. And like, yeah, so I've actually got, I've gotten a lot out of, a lot out of that, like in terms of fulfilling an arc, Mm. I've definitely reached 
a level that I've been satisfied with. And then it seems to me, just from looking out and knowing the small part about you that I do know, it just seems to be the 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 natural extension of your life. Yeah, yeah, creative. It, it, it's, and there's it's a shamanism together. involved in it too. Like you know, like those crocodile tail pieces. So like I've got mad tales about when I was. 18, 19, and working on this mango farm before I went to Japan. And my uncle was a manager of this farm that had like 15, 20 k's south of Catherine, which is 300 k's south of Darwin. And so at the end of the purling season, October, November, December, they're the hottest three months of the year, probably in Australia. Like, and this is one of the hottest parts of Australia. So it was solid 40 degrees with like 80% humidity, like full-on build-up weather. And we'd pick mangoes. And so my job was pick-up. So I'd actually have a um, – I'd drive around in this truck and me and a couple of guys and we'd throw out all these empty empty um, baskets, buckets, like for the hippies who'd be walking around stone just picking mangoes and filling up these buckets all day. And after a few hours, we'd have to go along these rows where they'd been picking and then pick up these crates filled up with mangoes, probably about 20 kilos each. So I'd just be doing them two at a time, running along the side of the truck, have the weakest guy drive the truck. The other guy sit on the back and load up these five pallets. How fit were you? Oh, man, I was like 19, 20, like... Yeah, you are fit. But we'd go all day. Yeah. So we'd, we'd start running you'd probably be dumping out all the crates till about nine in the morning and then start picking up and you'd be picking, picking up these things nonstop like, and then drive them back and get a forklift and unload these pallets of, um, of mangoes. But yeah, you'd be working till sort of seven, eight at night and just nonstop in 40 degree weather, 80% humidity. I was drinking 13 liters of water a day. Oh my like, god! It's crazy, and so the guys that you'd meet out there, there were these real hot shot gun pickers, and they'd be on a on a on a cherry picker, so they'd actually be up high in the canopy, yeah, with like two long handled secateur sort of um, poles with little basket on the end, little net, and they'd be just all day just pulling mangoes out of the tree and, and filling up these baskets, and they were like the they're on good money, but they they were working hardcore, and those dudes were some of the craziest motherfuckers I'd ever met. Like most of them had, like there's a lot of deadbeats doing this job because it's just that kind of job and that kind of town, and but you'd just meet like the craziest motherfuckers, like with you know they'd all been big time like pill dealers, and, yeah, yeah, people and on the run, Dodger on the run, society, yeah. f- and they're mostly from Adelaide, you know, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. or the Adelaide Hills. So I'd really tell you a lot about them, you know. And they were big into, um, big into doing outdoor grows and and shooting. And so, like on on one occasion, I remember, like, yeah, we had this wild, like, wild day where I think at some point during the day. I'd come past them and they might have been doing a line of speed. I was like, I was so young. I was like, fuck, give me some of that. I said, have a little bit of that. And it was like the wrong time to be doing that because you're already on the edge of heat stroke. Yeah. Redlining. And then you take something like just a tiny amount of that and you're suddenly like off your fucking head, like 
full heat stroke, <laughs> tripping, drinking water, like running, like just psychopathic, yeah. like predator movie shit. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we ended up uh, later that night going, they wanted to go for a bit of a hunt, hunting pigs, lots of pigs uh, that time oh, of year too. So, would they do it with the knife and the dog, or the whole thing? Yeah, they had the whole setup, and that was pretty much what they did in their spare time. And so, while they were out there, and they we all lived out on this farm, and so we went up this little kind of creek, walked up this creek. You know, sunset. You know, couple couple of um, couple of dogs, and we're sort of like half running, and we got a bit of a pace up. And we, we, you know, we come up to this spot and the dog's just like, there's this little baby pig and it comes up and the dogs are after it and they're trying to grab it. And this bloke comes in and grabs this little pig. Nah, I'm keeping this pig for a pet, you know. So he's got this little, little pig and we keep going further up and then there's this billabong, you know, with a bit of a waterfall. And so I'm sitting there probably about like five, six meters across and it looked deep enough like I couldn't see any rocks and it had that color of deep water. And I just see this little crocodile like floating in the middle, like a little two meter salty. And I'm fucking like, there's a croc there. And they're like, jump and grab it by the tail. Pull it. It'll try to kick away and then pull it into the shore and we'll grab it. And I'm like, heat stroked. Had a bit of go. A little speedy. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, that sounds like a good idea. And it's probably probably about the same time as like you know I think that what Steve Irner had been out. So I'm like fuck, he never gets bit. You know, it's yeah. not that hard. It wasn't that big. It, like it's decent size. Anyway, so I just run, jump out, like get right over it. Pretty much land on it. Like grab oh his head. Oh my god! Grab his head. I'm freaking the fuck out. <laughs> Stand up, kicking it, spinning. I've got my arms around it now. I'm trying to squeeze it. It's biting. So I had like I'm trying like. <laughs> I'm trying not to get get bit by it. I'm like put my hand around its neck, pulling it back. We, I like sort of half like throw it, flick it up onto the shore, and then they jump on it and I come over and they fucking give me the knife and cut its head off. Like full on. Like this is like one of those like crazy Lord of the Flies. Like, yeah, some redneck shit. But it was also like some amazing like shamanic experience in its in itself. And I think everything tied into it. Like me being on a stimulant, being heat stroked, being out there, you know, like in the wild, like in this crazy part of Australia, you know, real deep country, strong spirit there as well. Um, And it all just sort of came together. And in that moment, it was like, you know, and then we cut the skin up and cut the meat up. And then I I made a whole bunch of jewellery out of that, like out of that original crocodile. And that kind of created this whole collection that was then this like, part of my identity that was then I was like this croc star you know I was just kind of off my head and then I sort of took that back down to Melbourne and into the clubs and I like thought I was some sort of crazy punk making jewellery you know is that part of the skin on this jacket no that was that was later when I made that yeah that was like probably a year or two later and then I'd started getting onto skin like the original skin I I ended up just casting it because I never I never um tanned it like did a proper tan on it and you know as an aboriginal man i think i'm allowed to go out and like take these animals whether they're endangered or not as a sort of afterthought but 
yeah, like that, that original skin, like I, I pulled the teeth out, like, you know, I got, I ended up like casting the skull over there. So I, like, I pretty much made everything in bronze or copper, what's that? Brass or silver. And like these pieces now will live hopefully for hundreds of years. You know? Well, that's the, I mean, you know, like from the, my limited knowledge is that nothing goes to waste, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we didn't do much of the organs, but I'm sure something ate them. But yeah, I'm a, like in hindsight, I definitely would have taken taken the liver and probably tried to eat the liver or whatever. But I mean, thinking back about it, like now, I wouldn't do that now because I'd be too worried that there was a bigger crocodile. Well, I was thinking like, when you said yeah, that, like, like, and in the moment, where's mum? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember once we were over in Talbot Bay, like when we were in the pearling days and going for a walk up to this hidden waterfall. And there was a baby crocodile that I thought was dead. It was probably about six inches long. And I picked it up to show my mate and I was holding it by the tail. And it just reached around and tried to bite my finger and goes, and I screamed like a chick and threw it up in the air, probably about like 15 meters high (laughs) when it was gone. And then we looked up and then it splashed into the water and we're standing looking at the water. And then my mate goes, yeah, but where's the mum? And we're like, fuck, we're in the middle of like, middle of nowhere tidal creek gotta get out of here <laughs> dude you grew up in some hardcore territory yeah 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 it's wild like darwin that coastline between Broome and darwin like that whole if you go you know west southwest of of darwin or you know north of Broome, up into the dampier peninsula and then the proper kimberley and i, I was just up there in april for a couple of weeks and do you find it hard to come back well it's so inhospitable there that you can't live you can visit you can have a nice boat that hopefully has ac but you have 10 meter tides every day coming in and out you have jellyfish and sharks and crocodiles in the water shitloads of fish obviously but like there's it's inhospitable you can't swim there there's no water there yeah and the crazy thing was that the original sort of pioneering convicts and people that came over from ireland they all tried to go there with sheep and try and set up pastoral leases there and they'd come back a year later and they just find skeletons Mm -hmm. like either the aborigines would come and sort of spear them all but more often than not they just die of the heat and in hospital you know it's, it's it is like yeah cruel up there like yeah, you okay. just can't survive and the fact that the amazing part is that there are these aboriginal caves dotted all over the place with bradshaw art that's you know 25 to thirty-five thousand years old of these like things that you know like, like african headdress looking like bradshaw art is amazing to check out because it almost shows like a link between African art, like early African art and early Australian art. But, you know, there's those Wanjana spirits painted all over these cave walls and there's sort of like three different distinct periods of different paintings. But, you know, with the right permission, you can go into these areas and into these caves and there's probably in, in, a, in a, you know, if you fly from Broome to Darwin or drive, it's 2,500 Ks. So that coastline... Broom to Darwin's two and a half. Yeah, but that's it's wild because from what Melbourne to Perth is three and a half. Is that right? 
I've, I don't think I've ever driven that way. Um, I think it's three and a half. I've done it. Yeah. But I've never been up there. And that's, that's so vast again. Yeah, but you have a peninsula and a coastline that is more wild and rugged than the Greek islands or, you know, Alaska in terms of there's thousands and thousands of islands and bays and peni- like these little coastal inlets and like and and so if you stretch that if you stretch that straight it's probably enough to go to the moon like that coastline and so there's tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of these aboriginal caves unexplored and you know those first people that were talking about the dutch and the even the japanese were coming pearling the chinese were were coming there the english and you know the the french and they're either like you know having face-to-face contact or or um at some point they were trading but they were definitely like there's a lot of conflict and slowly surely they wiped out that whole culture of these aboriginals that could survive in this area and they say that those people were giants they were eight you know seven eight foot tall they were huge people and they would hop on these handmade rafts and go out to these islands 30 40 k's off the coast you know like these are the aboriginals aborigines yeah, yeah from that area yeah and they'll go out and and go to this island like we went to this island Crescini island and all that's where all the turtles come up to nest and so they'd go out there live on turtle eggs once the turtles had laid a few eggs they would kill the turtle and then get half a dozen turtles keep them alive and um and then paddle back on the, on that incoming 10 meter tide oh wow yeah and they would take water for themselves to live on out in a baler shell like they would live yogi like they were living this yogi lifestyle living just on on fats of you know like full like that full keto sort of carnivore lifestyle but like surviving for 35 40 50 60 100,000 years out there like in this environment and now you go there and there's just there's none of those tribes are left there's only a sort of um, neighboring tribes that sort of take responsibility for upkeep of you know the the art or allowing permission and things like that but yeah that's where we had our pearl farms as well so we had these like very remote Curry Bay is right in the heart of this area and it was yeah, probably from I think it was started in 1954 Curry Bay or 64 way back and then I think yeah, I was going up there probably 88, 89. I think it sort of tra- you know, traded hands probably a few years earlier. And then that's where, yeah, we had all our pearl farms. And so I'd take little boats and go out and go random, like go fishing and go exploring and come back. And and in little boats, pretty, you got to know what you're doing with the 10-metre tide swing, right? Uh, there's a lot of water pushing around, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, if no, you've got a yeah. Good size, if you've got a good size outboard and you're fine, normally. Yeah. You wouldn't have anything under a 50 or a 60. Yeah. So this is pretty polar when you look at, like, you've just spent quite a bit of time living in Los Angeles. Yeah. What? Um, well, that's a jungle too. <laughs> that is a different jungle. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome I was to much the jungle. At home. Yeah, I was much more at home going to the Amazon. Like, I felt like I, I was home when I went to the Amazon. And is that where you went and did ayahuasca? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I did 
seven ceremonies in 10 days, sort of two days on, one day off. And yeah, I had the the guy who owned the whole experience, it was called Refugio Altiplano, the refuge of the, the higher plane. This guy, Scott Peterson, man, he was like a crazy, he used to be like a big coke smuggler and then they just shut the door on him. They wouldn't let him back into the States. So oh. he was some sort of crazy cocaine cowboy from way back in the day. And so he took all the money he'd made and just bought up this big swath of land about three hours up the river from Iquitos, like in the heart of the Amazon. You can only take planes or like take a boat to get to Iquitos. It was pretty isolated. And so, I mean, he was a pretty crazy drunk too. Like he had that he had that Dennis Hopper energy, like that mad bastard energy. Like he'd, yeah. he'd got into some sort of tribal war with some, you know, he was rooting all the like local, like sexy the local vi- villages yeah. and getting in fights with the ladies and kicking them out. And then the brothers and the family would all come in and like try and voodoo him. And yeah, he'd at midnight and at two in the morning, he'd just shoot this shotgun shell. And at about that time, you'd be finishing your ayahuasca um, ceremony. Hold on, he'd shoot a shotty while you're doing ayahuasca. Right as we're finished, like fuck. And so, like you can imagine the kind of trips, and we're all living in these crazy tree houses in there. And um, yeah, I was like coming out of those. You know, we do the ceremony from like eight until midnight. Um, yeah, tripping balls, coming out, and then walk. You know, just under the under the moonlight, walk back to our sort of treehouse cabins and just be like wired up for like another three, four, five hours just trying to sleep and trying to process all the all the information that you received and the big trips that you've just been on and did 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 um is it one of the more profound effects you've ever had? Yeah, ayahuasca is definitely like it's medicine. I mean I mean I've I got DMT in the fridge. I I don't I'm not like attracted to taking something like that, like smoking something and just going out. And I mean, we can do some now if you want to try it, but like, I'm not into it. Like I've, it just doesn't, doesn't vibe with me. And I love like having friends come over and smoke and they can get their message and no, I'll I, sit, I'll I, sit. A friend of mine said to me, don't ever do DMT. You freak out when I don't call you back. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, fair well, yeah, I mean, you go to the same place. I got a lot of good out of the ayahuasca, and I think out of being in the Amazon. And I'd been on like this crazy month-long music tour with a mate where we'd sort of – none of none of them knew how to drive on, on the other side of the road, so it pretty much driven us from L.A. down to San Diego to Phoenix to Vegas to Victor, Idaho to Denver, Dallas – and then Tennessee, Nashville, Atlanta, Georgia. And then around then I started to feel the heebie-jeebies like I had some energy on me, like like I was starting to feel possessed. Something, was, you think something had got on you? Yeah, I think in Tennessee, like there was, some, there was some crazy shit. And like obviously crazy women and like lots of all kinds of crazy energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was like once, once I got into that deep south, there's some voodoo. Yeah, yeah. Things happening. And, you know, you're out on stage, I was dancing. I was doing a lot of kundalini yoga at that time, so I was pretty open to a lot of different energies. But, um, yeah, I felt 
I felt this heaviness and back then I just popped open my Facebook account and one of my mates who's this crazy dude you got to check him he's called the certified health nut on Instagram but Troy so he got me into doing this uh, we, were, we were taking all these Amazon herbs so he worked with Olivia Newton-John and her she had this like new husband called Amazon John and they had this kind of Olivia Newton-John yeah, hooked up here. with Amazon John. Yeah, so Amazon John had this app, like multi-level marketing Amazon company. Oh, uh, all right. Yeah. They, were, they were bringing in these Amazon herbs, herbs. And um, <laughs> so I'd started taking them for a couple of years before and Troy had kind of got me in through that way. Like I'd become friends with him because he was like my distributor, essentially, in the up chain. And I was bringing those herbs back and it was crazy. There was this shit called Sangrated Drago and um, this high vitamin C thing and Makuna. And anyway, there was all these herbs and I realized like we have all this shit in Australia. Like I don't need to be taking stuff from the Amazon, but I was just tuned into the way that, you know, I, I was pretty impressed with the way that they had it set up because they were giving a lot back and empowering the indigenous tribes there. So I was I was into it, and I think I'd also wanted to do ayahuasca, and I was interested in that, so I just sort of started getting involved. Anyway, Troy had posted on Facebook, going to the Amazon tomorrow, anyone want to come? Mm-hmm. And I just called him up, I'm like, bruh, I need to come. Like, where do I meet you? And he's like, okay, we're like flying into Panama, and we're taking this flight from Panama to Iquitos on this day, so you need to get it, take the overnight, you need to fly tomorrow to... Panama, stay overnight in a hotel, and then we're going to fly on this flight, so book that Iquitos flight, Panama Iquitos, and just meet us in Panama at the airport. So I just did that, and I just like left this tour, left all my mates. I'm like, you guys can work out how to drive from now on. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're in like <clears throat> this little university town just outside of Atlanta. Did you tell them you thought you'd got some energy on you? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely, yeah, yeah, I probably had, and at that time, but like they were so cool anyway. Like I was just, yeah. I just came along for the ride, and I was getting up on stage and dropping random raps and just dancing. I was like, I just called myself the dubstep Viking, and I was just doing all this crazy, crazy shit in my own world. But um, no, it was cool. Yeah, like they were cool, and I think because I was doing ayahuasca, and everyone, everyone else wanted to do it, and no one had really done it yet. So I was just like, all right, I'm gonna go do this, and like, all right. Good luck. When you come back, tell us how it was. I'm like, all right, cool. So yeah, I just went to the Amazon and um, yeah, met up with them. Took that flight, landed in Iquitos. And the cool thing was the first thing I did when I landed, like I knew that I'd been eating kind of shit food. Like not shit, but just in Atlanta, a lot of soul food, like heavy, fried. And so the first thing I did is this sort of like part of this purge because before you do ayahuasca, it's very important that you sort of eat really clean. You abstain from sex for at least a month, which I didn't do. Abstain from salt for a month, which I didn't do. Abstain from meat for a month, which I didn't do. So the first thing I did when I got there was that I just bought these coconuts, like whole coconuts that they had taken the time to cut the shell off. And it was just this white bulb of flesh with all the liquid inside. Mm. So, so I just bought 10 of those and I just bit into all of them, drank all the liquid and ate all the all the meat. And I, I reckon I'd got through at least seven, eight of them before I was full. I ate all of them. And so the first ayahuasca journey I did when I got up the river, this three-hour boat ride, 
is I just shat myself like hardcore. I've like, heard that happen. Worst diarrhea, like <laughs> stomach cramps, didn't make the toilet, like kind of. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, they say it's mushrooms times a million. How, how, like you say you were trying to get to the toilet, how lucid were you in these, in this moment when you know you're going to shit? And well, you- the first dose, like I only did two heroic doses. Heroic? Yeah, like four cups. Um, Is that what they call it? Heroic? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people, like they'd written different, there's different stories that different psychonauts had talked about going into the Amazon and, and this guy, um, Scott Peterson, who ran this Refugio Altiplano, he was like, even though he was crazy, um, he didn't do too much of the actual shamanic work. Like he was, he was there. He was the white guy who was kind of like the gringo that owned owned it, and he'd sort of get slightly involved. But he had actual like medicine men, two or three of them at a time, would come and do the do the proper ceremony. But, um, yeah, the first time I did it, I just took a three-quarter cup, like went, you know, I always sort of, I never I never dive right in, especially when it's something you've never tried. But I was yeah. like, three-quarters, I'm a big guy. That's like half half a dose for me. And, um, yeah, just did the one and had, like, amazing visions. Like, the first time I did it, <clears throat> I actually had like my eyes were open and you're kind of seeing things but it's like dream you're dreaming in real life and so this what i would say is an angel and i reckon it was like archangel michael for example came out of my chest about a foot out so like having like a it wasn't a human being but it was a being an entity that was humanoid Mm -hmm. coming out through my chest and floating about a foot or two feet above me and then feeling these whole wings come out, like full wingspan of big wings, like that were four or five feet wide, like double my hand, hands on either side. And the wings shook, like flapped, like and trembled, like when it when the wings sort of like when you see birds, ducks, and they're trying to like shake the water off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was that thing happening, and all these sparks of light. <laughs> And I could hear, I could hear the noises. Oh my so god! So like sparklers, yeah, or like sparklers. It's like, or if you grab, you light up a nice. Brillo pad and you spin it, that stilo, yeah, and you get like those sparks. It was like that. And then the wings folded up, and then it, he just sunk back into my chest, and I was like, "Fuck, man!" Like there's an there's an archangel living like with me in me, like how nice. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so that was the first trip. I'm like, fuck. And so it's sort of like if that's what you experience your first time yeah. and then... Like, give me another cup. <laughs> yeah, I was good. Like, I was, you know, you go deep, you start thinking about, you know, why why am I fucked up? Why am I like this? And, I, I, you know, I went in with this certain, like, I went in with this purpose because I'd heard that the Amazon and the ayahuasca spirit is female. So I'm like, I want to connect with divine feminine and at that point, like, you know, I was definitely, like, just enjoying women for their sexual, like, you know, and having, se- like, sexual experience. And I wanted to have something deeper. So I was like, I want to heal my divine feminine and whatever that means. But, like, you know, yoga talk. But that sort of, my, that was my intent going in. And so then 
throughout the journey, I just have these sort of like, <clears throat> kind of like, you know, throughout that whole seven days of taking ayahuasca and three days of not taking ayahuasca in between, like just constantly re- having that reminder, that was my purpose, my intent to go in and like trying to work that out and like... Yeah, heal that. Yeah, heal. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you have to have to heal and we all have things to heal. So, I mean, I wanted to have a good trip and I wanted to... Like, yeah, the second ceremony, I went the full dose and I had an exorcism where I went full paranoid. I had this vision of aliens and how that how we'd come together, how we'd been pretty much spliced. Um, but it was very confusing because it was the male and the female, like the polarities was spliced into us in this weird way like I couldn't understand how it was but I had a very strong vision of it and I was sort of like I was very asleep at that point like it was kind of like a dream Mm. and I woke up from this dream and this was right before 2012 2012 when everyone was saying this is going to be when we all enlighten you know all these yogi freaks and we're talking about our enlightenment and in my head I thought I'm here in October 2012 and I'm here at this death camp this is Jonestown and this is how I'm going to die. I'm in this. I was just drunk taken, the Kool Aid. I was just drunk in the Kool Aid. I'm here to die, and I didn't want to die. You know, it's like a bit of an ego death. And so I remember I was like shadow boxing, jumping around. I started grabbing these big homemade jungle cigars that are like a foot long and puffing on these jungle cigars, drinking water. I'm like, I've got to get this shit out of me. And um, I kind of blacked out. Like I, I totally. Was there people there to guide you at that point or is it? There was definitely, yeah. I mean, there was probably like between anywhere between eight and 15 people sort of coming and going every night doing this experience. So we, we, there was always like, you know, seven watching over you as like a safety. Yeah. And so what happened was they actually stopped the ceremony and someone stood there and waited for me to sober up. And then, you know, probably like two in the morning you know, from eight until two, I was like totally passed out. Then I just woke up and I felt so like, like tired, almost drunk, like just out of it, no energy. And I'm like leaning on this little villager. He had, a, he had a rifle, I think, just to make sure no pumas came and took me in the middle of the night or something. But he, oh. um, <laughs> he like, he helped me walk back to my, to my place. And, um, I just passed out and I just slept all the next day. I think I got up, had breakfast, and I was just like so struggling, like just out of it. And the next night we didn't have a ceremony, so we just took the night off and had a sauna in the jungle. And, but yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense. That sort of paranoid experience, and yeah, I think that kind of happens. That can happen. A lot of good came out of it. Like I remember walking back, and it was the jungle and the night. You know, you see the the moon dappling the the forest floor. You know, and it's like mm. thick jungle. And I just heard this voice in my head. It's like walk, walk gently on me, just walk gently. Oh wow! And it was like such a beautiful message. And often, yeah, yeah, when I'm in my hypermasculine sort of like you know unconscious, you know, kind of warrior. Yeah, in my warrior mode. 
you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm sort of bumping things over. I'm not being conscious. And so like stepping back from that and it's like, no, just walk gently and just remember. And it just starts with your feet. And like, you know, with Qigong, especially like they have these crane walks and there's different types of walks that you can do where it's a stretch, but all you're doing is learning how to walk gently on the earth. You know, and that's what a warrior should do. Like you look at these. Oh, even in a metaphorical sense, like light footprint. Yeah. Yeah. We're only here for a short time. Mm. Don't need to, you know, ruin the experience for everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) We're in like a, yeah, we're in we're having a little 3D projected film experience of, of life. So it's, it's a trip. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to steer away from that and pull. We, we'll go back to. Uh, um, so you left there, and did you go back to? Did you, you go back to LA? Yeah. So after that, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. So I would had my seven ceremonies. Went back to LA. I was staying with my friend Amber and and her boyfriend, her husband now, and. Um, yeah, there was a, there was like a girl that I'd been seeing sort of a few months before, their housemate, this cool chick Jess. She was there, and I think she had you know, you know, I don't talk too much about Jess, but yeah, she definitely had a few like little issues and was going back and forth from an abusive boyfriend. And I just remember I'd like I stayed over and I was just like I had actually a pretty crazy experience. I I, I felt like her energy was really off obviously and you know I kind of worked out that she'd been back with her boyfriend but I um I went and I lit I had this huge Palo Santo stick which was like the size of a club like mm-hmm. a foot long six inches thick like really big chunk and I lit it up and it burned and smoke and you know it smelled great and I blew it out and I brought it into the into the bathroom, and it was smoking a lot. But I was like, I just love that smell. I need. I was kind of, you know, clearing my energy from sharing a bed with her. So is it like uh, it's like sage? It's, yeah, it's this stuff there in, oh, the, in the nose of the in the monkey skull. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I love it. It's is it like have a sage effect of cleansing. <clears throat> yeah, it's the sage of the Amazon. So there's different in every different region. So for us, we have red tip eucalyptus up around this area. Up north where I'm from, we have gungara bush, and there's different types of bushes and her- and different types of trees that we use to clean spiritual energy. Awesome. Clean yourself of spirit. Northern, like North America, they have sage. Native Americans use sage. Um, South America, they use Palo Santo. Yeah, and I guess in India they just use incense, you know, probably sandalwood, and, and we could probably use sandalwood too. Um, frankincense works really well. Frankincense is amazing for cleaning, like micro, the microscopic kind of, um, and spiritual. Like it, it, it's it's yeah, it's as good as you know eucalyptus. You spray eucalyptus oil in the air, and it, you know it definitely kill anything. Take the plague out of the air. (laughs) I do like a a good smudge, though. Like it definitely feels the place feels lighter if you Mm. haven't done it for a while. Oh yeah, like I always do it. I always smudge, and you know, I either burn Palo Santo or I got frankincense, and I light up those um, 
those shisha sort of charcoals and get them red hot. And then I put like frankincense sap and the little crystals on top and it just smokes up. It's like very church, very Mm. churchy. So you were, you were. So I smudged up this bathroom and I jump in and I'm in the shower and it's like, there's like a skylight. So there's a bit of light coming in and it's smoky. And I felt this energy in there with me. And I opened the curtain and there's a shadow of something on the wall and it moved across. And in my head, I just heard this voice like, get out. And so I was like, what the fuck? So I just literally got out of the shower, didn't even get a towel. Just I had clothes there, just put them on, grabbed my bag, grabbed everything. And I just left. And I felt like I felt like she had an energy on her and I'd probably picked it up at some point or maybe and, and then removed it or maybe whatever but yeah it was crazy and i'd actually arrived in la and it was halloween which is like a pretty satanic kind of mm. worshiping event when you think about it like i'm not big into halloween or but yeah i got out of there and i went and stayed ended up staying with another friend but uh, yeah, and then I spent time in LA, and at that I'm just, point, I'm just going to stop you there one second and just tell you this energy thing that you speak of. I I, I completely understand. I yeah. went into a psych ward a while ago in Geelong to see a friend, and at the time I was really open, you know, and I was feeling very good, and I didn't do anything to protect myself. And this place has been around forever, and it's got a lot of bad things have happened there and I went in and I remember having the thought in there how grounded and good I felt within that place I was like this is such a dark place but I feel so and then I got home and I was watching telly and I just went fuck and I just knew something had got on me I was just like I did not feel myself I didn't sleep that night I had to go and do a job the next day driving I rang my mom and I was like mom this is going to sound real full tilt wacko, but this is what happened and this is what I think has happened. And she was like, just go with it for a while and if you're feeling bad still in a while, let me know. And I rang a spiritual friend of mine, Thedra, and she told me a step, bunch of things to do. Yeah. Go and ground my feet in the sand and say these mantras. Yeah. And she Swimming had me in the ocean. Swim in the ocean and buy these different crystals and smudge the house. And I yeah. did all these things. The next day... I was on the phone talking to a friend of mine and I walked through a, a door well like that. An in, arch, yeah. An arch internal. Yeah. And there was a shadow moved over. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hold on. And I went back and there was no light to make the shadow. Yeah. And I felt fine after that. This thing left at that point. Yeah. I felt it. Yeah, I mean, maybe what I'd seen was actually in me and it wasn't the girl and I was just projecting, but... That definitely happens. And, I, you know, you get these sleep paralysis things where you feel a presence and like a weight on your chest. And But, I mean, it's just part of the spiritual realm. Like we are spiritual beings. You have to understand that we definitely live in a multidimensional universe. Um, you know, yeah. that's scientific fact. And well, we can only pick up so many senses with our seven yeah. and there's more. And not only that, but infrared light, we're only seeing a very small sliver like two or three percent of all all light all energy everything that's there i mean that's so you know that's what living in la for a long time and spending sort of five six years in this yoga 
thing. So I ended up going back to Kundalini yoga after, after this whole thing had happened. I moved back closer to my, my yoga practice. And Kundalini is a really powerful form of yoga. It, it does release DMT when you're meditating. Um, do a lot of holotropic breathing, chanting mantra. You know, the, the, the hardcore yogis that sort of get up at three or four in the morning and do this morning sadhana ritual where, you know, you do your daily yoga practice and then you chant half a dozen songs you know, that you can either listen to and chant a long ways to play my guitar and sing them. And sort of by halfway through, you sort of tune yourself into the universe in the same way that getting up early to go for a morning surf or getting up early for that morning walk or going for a, a hike at 5 a.m. You know, you kind of connect with the day. And so that's what that yogic practice would do for me. I'd just connect. And um, it was crazy because at around that time, Russell Brand just got divorced and he started hanging out with the this lady Tay, who was like you know she's like our yoga mum, like our, our teacher but also she had like a soft spot for blokes like russell and me and we, we were just like you know i actually became pretty close with him after that and then and it was crazy because he was sober and i was very like at that point i wasn't doing anything other than ayahuasca and you know and i sort of had that experience and now i was trying to be you know, live in LA and be a yogi and, you know, not smoke the occasional joint and just, you know, I started getting into sauna and infrareds and um, injecting IV of all kinds of vitamins and I actually went, <laughs> yeah, I I went that vegan. Yeah, I did that yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and <clears throat> I had some jewelry that I made, made up so I'd actually, like, just trade, like, a couple of thousand dollar pieces for credit with different organic stores, organic, um, you know, raw food places and just live you know, in, the, in this way of bartering and, and just go to yoga and do like, you know, early morning practice at sort of five, four, five, then a 9 a.m. class and an 11 a.m. class and around one o'clock go to this vegan, raw vegan place and have an infrared sauna and a you know, lunch or a massage or something and then go to a four o'clock class and then go to a six o'clock class and and hang out with the teacher and go to bed and do it all again, you know, like really like you know, intense. Isn't it wild though when you think of LA, like for me, for the longest time, I lived there for a long time as well and I only knew the darkness of that place, you know, the going out, drugs and alcohol and just the ugly side of really the life. And then I, and that's, I got sober for my first five years of being sober was in LA and I didn't know that that lightness existed there. But there is an amazing polarity, you know, what's for what dark is light. And that is, mm. it, it's, it's so there. It's but, that dichotomy of existence is LA. And there are, you know, it's the city of angels, <laughs> the city of lost angels. Lost <laughs> but also, yeah, it has its demons, its Weinsteins wine and whatever. And, and um, you know, that whole Hollywood Manson's ego, and- you know, ego trap. But also, the, you know, like you look at Hollywood itself, like the creativity of what it is as an art form is beautiful. They're moving, you're making motion pictures. You know, you're taking something like a, you know, like a beautiful painting and you're creating this like long, long version of it, a world 
in which people exist, these characters yeah. come to life and they exist in this alternate reality. And for an hour and you know a half, you get to disappear into to, that reality, you get to live in it, you yeah. know, to be to to witness it through this sort of weird peep show of big silver screen and like you know and then the people who end up being these stars of there and sort of how how we elevate them as these demigods amongst mortals where they're just like talking heads they just know how to recite a line and they look good and you know it's amazing like it's an amazing part of american culture for sure and global culture now but yeah i mean I think that can only exist in LA and you know it's funny because they said like LA has good weather and apparently Edison was very controlling of his patent on the the camera and so they actually moved all these enterprising you know essentially these like young Jewish guys from New York all moved to California to get as far away from Edison and his patent as possible (laughs) Is that right? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um. So, you were setting up a, a jewelry store or just business? I mean, I never really set up anything or did did anything. I just sort of, in my own way, like I wasn't. I had. A, I've always just had a bag full of things I traveled with, and at that point, I literally just had a backpack with a whole bunch of things I'd made and. How do you go going through customs with a whole lot of pearls? I just go through customs with a whole lot of pearls. <laughs> cool. Back in the day, I used to get really worried and like kind of do all the, fill in the carne and do all the paperwork to go, you know, and places like Singapore are pretty strict, but, yeah, you know, and who knows what it's like these days, but, you know, I never really, they're all, they're all my personal effects. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's all a mind. It's all about the mind, the state of mind that you're in and, you know, like, are they commercial in a way, but they're also just part of me. Personal you know, effects. Yeah. Mm. It's this mind, mind sort so of you just mind boo-boo frame. fuck all the customs people. Yeah, and essentially, you know, <laughs> going wearing a whole bunch and, like, they're all mine. Like, yeah. <laughs> no price tags. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. That's fine. Um, but back then, no, I didn't really have as much, and I'd come from pearl diving to going on this crazy trip, um, you know, doing a music tour with my friends and then going to the Amazon and then going back to do yoga. And I still didn't really, like I was going to go back and pearl dive again. And I, I was hanging out a lot with Russell Brand. Because um, he used to go to a meeting that I went to regularly. Yeah. So I wonder if we were there at the same time, actually. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, I was there yeah. then, yeah. Yeah. You should have come to yoga with him, then you would have met me there. Yeah, that's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Did you go that one at the comedy store? Um, the road? No, they used to call it the cabin. It was an 8 o'clock meeting. Uh, it was 7.30. Uh, it was just off. Mm. Can I, uh, Royal Canyon? Nah. No, that was the one at, uh, on just off Sunset there at the Sunset Strip Plaza. Yeah. There was one under there. No, this was the cabin. It was over in um, Holly, no, West Hollywood. I fucking forget the road. But it was off Santa Monica. Yeah. And it ran down. It was this old, like, wooden cabin-looking thing. Uh-huh. He used to go there all the time. 
Anyway, I don't know how well, he talks about his sobriety fucking as an open book, so it doesn't yeah, really matter. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, I've gone to meetings with him everywhere and I always thought like, oh, I'm an alcoholic and I definitely don't label myself as an alcoholic, but I don't drink. And I'm like, I'm, I behave like a dry drunk as well. Like, I hate people who drink and get like, just like obnoxious alcoholic behavior, not even alcoholic behavior, just drunk behavior. I just really abhor it and um, like I'm allergic to it. And so, and I grew up with a lot of alcoholism and I have it in my family pretty strong too. So I would definitely say that I have traits, addictive traits, but I've never really like felt that I've ever, that I could just label myself as an alcoholic yeah, yeah. I, look, honestly, unless it, you you know you like you seem pretty together in your life, you know, and and clear on your direction and whatever you are using for mm. either spiritual growth or just to relax, it doesn't seem to be throwing your life off track. And yeah. I think you only need a program really if that balance gets exactly out. Yeah, always, I was always intrigued, intrigued with the sex and love addicts. Yeah, yeah. Sli- what are they? Sli- SLA, yeah, Sli- SLA. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't, even then I wouldn't really say like, I wouldn't really even identify enough to say that I was a sex and love addict, but I definitely can easily fall in love and lust and, you know, enjoy all those things too. But I don't really, I've never found it to be anything that controlled me in a way that I felt was destructive. No, and once again, I, I would think, you know, if you were in a relationship and you cooked the books because you couldn't stop stepping out, stepping out, but you really loved that person, then maybe, you know yeah. what I mean? If it was fucking up your life. Oh, I've done that too, but I think that's just, <laughs> yeah. I think that's just a learning curve, you know? Well, like, no, that's true, but I mean, yeah. a repetitive, a, a, a lesson you don't learn, you can't learn, then, you know. I'd say it's just typical tourist behavior. I just blame it on, <laughs> the, blame it on the stars and the moon. <laughs> Do you I'm say Taurus? Taurus, yeah. I thought you were saying, I said tourist. I was like, are you using yourself as like a tourist on earth? Or? Sex tourism, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, that's scary. Um <laughs> Yeah, tourist behavior, or, or tourist in LA with the with the accent. It's just yeah. I couldn't help it; it worked the charm. Yeah, I mean, every time I got pulled over by the police, I was a tourist. Yeah. Just on my way to the airport. That's why I'm speeding. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I never got I never got a ticket, and then I come here and I just cop so many tickets in Australia and Melbourne. Like, oh, how it's so hard to come back from no speed cameras to getting pinged for doing two, three Ks over. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of this oppressive society that we live in. Like, I just challenged the cop and took him to court over he lied on my yeah. speeding behalf. Oh, good. And did you, did you get out of it? Well, he, he didn't show up in court uh, and I didn't know that if I plead, I challenged and then plead not guilty, it has to be referred on again. And it already took me seven months to get to that point, and I just couldn't wear it any longer. And the judge said, uh, "Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't get the points, but I had to pay the fine." Yeah, oh, well, that's all right. I mean, jeez. No, and I'm glad I stood up for myself because he was flat out lying. Yeah, it's just a yeah, it's a part of living in Australia. I think we have to pay our taxes and pay our fines. You know, it's yeah. just annoying, but. Yeah, it's just part of the... I'm trying not to live in that... I wouldn't say it's victim mentality, but it's definitely there's a convict mentality that we have here. 
and I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of it. And it doesn't mean that I don't want to be a sovereign citizen and, you know, be this sort of tax-free villain. But I mean, I think like those outlaw barons that we had that Scase and Packer and Bond, <laughs> as, as bad as they fucked over a whole bunch of, you know, half decent businessmen, they were kind of like these Ned Kelly kind of characters of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, and you don't need it. No one needs a billion dollars. That's very clear. But it's just interesting that it's always the the little blokes that have to wear it. <laughs> oh, look, if you don't have to conform, I fucking I hate it. I, I struggle. I really, really struggle with the conforming and just bending down and just getting on your knees and going through life on a, on a one track plane. Mm. I just don't want that. So I, if you know, I, all I'm saying to you is power to you. Keep keep doing what you're doing. I say, cowboy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going for it, but yeah, you know, suspended license and copping heaps of fines. But yeah. You just got to fight it, I think. Let's go. Let's delve Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah, I think it's all been pretty personal. Can I ask you an even really personal question? <laughs> go no. um, this is just This is just real tacky, but did you date Demi? Well, I mean, that's that's a million-dollar question, but it, I think <laughs> as I was sort of, as we we're talking about the, the Hollywood experience, you know, and part of that that whole journey that I was describing, and then you know, after going to going to the Amazon, and then coming out of it, and seeing Russell Brand in his own like form of you know SLA kind of experience, and then coming back to Australia, I did like a whole four months of just pure celibacy. And had like an actual experience of doing like qigong, running, swimming, building up this like building up this chi energy, yeah, yeah. super powered chi energy, and you know, it was, I think I'd done it pretty smartly because I'd had like a girl best friend that was able to help me non-sexually be able to like it was all part of that ayahuasca experience sort of un- unfurling itself as this healing journey mm. um, you know this is from like mid-October to sort of March-April and I'd been living in Bondi and doing this Spartan regime on the you know Bondi beach and having this you know pretty good lifestyle and I decided to go back because my mate who was in that same band, Dub Effects, the same guys that I'd helped with the tour, were playing at Coachella. So I was going to start pearling. And, um, yeah, I decided I'd go back to L.A. and, and go have a one last party. And, yeah, I went back and, um, yeah, had this crazy, like, birthday in in LA where I was at Coachella and you know took the MDMA and having mushrooms and dancing and (laughs) getting on stage and rapping and you know had this like wild experience that then sort of 
kept going and kept going where I was like I was in this in this zone and like I think I like elevated myself um energetically through all that practice and then probably through this shamanistic ritualized experience that sort of something like Coachella is when you think when you think of it on like a deep cultural level or like on a you know, energy projection level and sort of was able to manifest like a, a higher frequency or just a different mindset. Was this, and this is when you're building your chi? It was sort of just after that. Like I'd already just started, like I decided when I went to, when I went to Coachella, I was going to sort of let free a bit and yeah, like, Oh, I see. Know, yeah. Had yeah. a few, had a few dalliances there and, yeah, it's and a then nice ended word, up Deliance. Yeah, it's French <laughs> for fuck fest. And, and, <laughs> and then I'd and then I'd ended up back back at the same yoga class. And by then, Russell Brand had been kicked out for trying to seduce everyone. And I'd felt like I just had the, you know, I'd had the 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 other the other rooster, the black rooster and the red rooster. And the black rooster got kicked out, so I had the red rooster just came on in. <laughs> and yeah, Demi was part of the class, so she was she was definitely, you know, definitely like a, a key a key uh, attraction and, and feature to the to the yoga class. So, I mean, yeah, I ended up end up becoming very close with her, and and ended up, um, yeah, it developed a very good friendship. She's, she's uh, you know, I don't know, but she seems like a very nice person. Yeah, like in that, I don't know. I think, I think, you know, she she had her reasons for coming to class, and a lot of people do come to class, you know, and it's like their version of going to a meeting or their version of, yeah. you know, it's definitely helpful and healing. And mm. I think, yeah, like. I think I went. I think I was going there for my own healing, but not really understanding what I needed healing because I'd just gone. Essentially, I'd started my whole yoga practice based on a girlfriend, and you know, wanting to, you know, and enjoying the sort of experience that often led to sex <laughs> mm-hmm. when I was doing doing Kundalini at the start, and how how that intensified those kind of experiences or. You know, brought me into my body more and into my breathing more, and helped me understand the balance between that. Is Kundalini like a, another term or a, an offshoot of Tantra? It's definitely strongly connected. Um, I would say Tantra is just another offshoot of yoga. Um, it's very much that union between body and mind which is what you know yoga is that and tantra which they have a form of tantra in kundalini yoga called white tantra and that's a very powerful energy and an experience that you do and there can be thousands of people doing white tantra Uh, i've probably done about 20 or so different maybe more, maybe 30 or 40 Tantra days where you spend the whole day doing these 
up to hour-long meditations and some of them you can have your hold your hands up over your head for an hour and not move or you know you have a row of women and a row of men and a row of women and you all wear white and you all cover your head and it's a pretty like strong energy transference no way um, yeah yeah it's wild it's wild man have you been on a trip or what yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you ever like to go to the Kundalini Yoga Festival in New Mexico around mid-June, like in a year, I, I don't know if they've reopened. I guess, yeah, now everything's opened up again in America, but if you sort of dip your toe into the Kundalini Yoga bucket and then get yourself up to that New Mexico Yoga Festival and do as much kundalini yoga as you can in the 10 days that it's there and at the end of that sort of you do seven days of different yoga practices and different teachers from all over the world come and teach there you know they have like a schedule and then you have three days of white tantric yoga at the end and that 10 days is enough to elevate your energy and your and project your your star you know like we kind of all have this mission that we're here to do and you know our highest level of kind of like our 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 life mission and we can either sort of make it or not yeah and it all depends on the karma that you accrue your mindset yeah you know everything that you attract and it's really like i was saying i'm going to send you that podcast i've been listening to it's it's very online with what you're talking about right now yeah and it's like part of a it's a yogi sort of understanding i mean yeah like they've everyone's pulled you can sort of poke holes in, in in anything but like definitely when you live it you know you're in it and when you don't you don't and like i've gone to certain healers and had them adjust things in me spiritually energetically that have then attracted huge amounts of you know wealth in a very short time or created opportunities that weren't there before um is it a shamanic understanding of um, what they might call like a placebo effect of course there is always an element of that even in like modern medicine but you can't deny that these things exist. And like the more that you're open to them, the more that they, they happen. Like if you believe in miracles, they happen. Well, um, we're not taught that though, are we? And it's amazing that we, you know, Western society is so removed from that fact, but it seems to be to me and through my own personal, you know, wrestles with your own mind. And sometimes you're in line and online with yourself and true. And sometimes your self-talk is so negative and you're offline and, you find yourself in other trappings and it's it's definitely between the ears mm. and you know and related to food and yeah. you know the well food is frequency food is medicine you know but it's all about energetic frequency and just constantly tuning yourself to the highest possible frequency and and then also maintaining strong connection you know grounding earthing treating your body like a you know your body is a vessel for you to communicate your experience of life you know like it's kind of we're doing a dance a 80 100 year dance 
you know, <laughs> through the cosmos <laughs> as this planet spins, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. No, but we get lost. I get lost. We get lost and we think, uh, you know, this experience is, you don't realize how fleeting it is, mm. you know, and like can get stressed out about the most stupid shit. Yeah. When you really, if you can just pull back a little bit and go, fucking oh. Well, yeah, a really important thing that, that I got from one of the last sort of trip sort of experiences I had when I was on ayahuasca was that your breath is finite. You haven't got an infinite amount of breaths. So you have to savor every breath. It's not your last, but one day it's going to be your last. Huh. And so just enjoy, like, that's yoga in itself. Just focus on the tip of your nose in the morning and close your eyes and just feel the inhale and then the exhale of your breath and be conscious of the fact that it's a finite resource. I, I, I completely agree, you know, and the more I can slow myself down, the better I am as a person. Yeah. You know, like, it's so easy to start running fast and hot. Mm. And I'm certainly when I'm running fast and hot, not my best self. Yeah, but we need that brain sometimes in order to get through, you know, the the mad sort of rush and struggle. Well, to survive in this. Yeah. Well, we don't really need it, but we it's our autopilot that we go to. But maybe we just need to try and have, like, try and be aware of both simultaneous, like, kind of constantly, you know, you can, you can, you know, it's that awareness that they talk about, like, you can have your monkey mind creating stories, but then bring, bring it back. You know, we have that angelic, we have that devil inside of us living simultaneously. <laughs> we have that animal. And that angel, you know, it's just we're just constantly in that dichotomy. So, what happened to you when you came? At how long have you been back for now? I came back right before, right before COVID hit, pretty much. And I was just coming back for a bit of a holiday, and then yeah, I tried to get back to America right in February, and like <clears throat> I think I'd overstayed the visa I was on, and I was a bit slow in rolling out the new visa. And so they wanted to go through my phone and... Was this going to? Going to, yeah. So I just got to the point where I just said, listen, I'm like not willing to, um, you know, allow you guys to literally just go into my phone and view all my private information because, you know, it has a habit of, you know, certain things like, you know, I call myself a California clean in, in LA. So like... I'll dabble in like psychedelics and and weed. California clean, I love it. Yeah, you know, so yeah, things like weed are you know it's federally illegal, but for the state it's fine. And if you have a photo on your phone of you smoking a joint, like I know plenty of DJs and friends that have long hair that get kicked out of the country because they find a photo on their Instagram or Facebook of them just smoking a joint. You know, like it's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, it's bringing back to that social media CIA. Uh, but, uh-huh. um, uh-huh. yeah, so I'd, I'd, I just voluntarily decided to fly back from L.A. And then I, I was here and decided to 
you know, travel around a bit and while my lawyer was handling my visa and then, yeah, COVID hit. And so I just buckled down and, yeah, just stayed in Melbourne more or less. And I, you know, in hindsight, yeah, I could have gone up north to Broome or Darwin, but I really felt like I had some sort of karma to, to work through in Melbourne, like something, you know, Melbourne's very much my home as, as Broome is or, or Darwin. And, um, yeah, I had a friend that I was living with in, in Windsor and she went through a few like some kind of like tragic events that had unfo- un- unfolded for her. So I was essentially here just sort of like looking after her for the first month or so. And then, you know, I got into cutting firewood and foraging out in, out in the, in the Dandenongs and getting into just, you know, growing a garden in, in Windsor, taking over some poor bloke's property and turning it into a gorilla garden. Hmm. Um, yeah, now I'm in Armidale on this acre and a half and I'm going to start a veggie garden here as well and got a heap of fruit trees and I want to put bees here and hens and awesome. take out all the bloody foxes. But You've got foxes around here? Oh, heaps. There's really? A, there's a den that live under the house here and we need to clean them up. But, you know, I've just sort of, I just, it was very grounding being able to be here. And, like, there's something about being in Melbourne and being, especially in the outer suburbs and during the lockdowns where not, there weren't many people on the roads and no one was really traveling. But because I had a, a permit as a, as a, you know, firewood collector, I was able to go out and go out to Hillsville and then ended up in, Barfold, sort of chitin way, cutting cutting firewood, yellow box, and you know, just having this great, you know, ultra macho sort of re um, revival. <laughs> How wild, honestly! Like after everything that you just said, and then you, I was going to say, "How did you fare in Melbourne?" Like, and most people that I've spoken to who have been in Melbourne have just, you know, hated it. And to hear you say that is like, yeah. Oh, I mean, man. I definitely felt like I definitely feel like we're in some form of prison. Like, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. But that's just society in general. And if you, if you, you know, if you're in prison, you can still educate yourself and learn how to escape it and get out of it. You know, literally and metaphorically. But mm-hmm. I think that's life. Like we're in this, we're in this same death struggle. You know for life so yeah you know I sort of learnt a bit about media and a bit about the way that things were being projected and portrayed and you know I had my opinions that were different and then I you know then I listened to both sides and I decided I didn't want to have a part of any any side or any opinion so I decided I didn't need it and I just wanted to focus on you know my health and anything I can control is you know the the supplements the medicines that I create for myself you know going foraging for mushrooms like turkey tail which are amazing immune you know immune boosters and builders and so finding all these different forms of fungi and you know tuning into bush medicine and going out and like speaking to Aboriginal people from this area and finding out what things you, know, you can eat that are really high vitamin C or you know, it's all there. Yeah. We live in this and, and Melbourne in particular, like there's there's not much knowledge 
that that's being like, taught or spread. I mean, you can go to the Otways and there's certain people doing things down that way and probably in Dandenong and Hillsville, but like, you know, there's just, there's like a whole pharmacy, like the Amazon, there's a whole pharmacy available for us. And that's sort of my path that I choose. Like I'm a, I'm a natural man, you know, I just want to connect with nature. Um, you know, I sort of reject modern medicine in, in a way, like pharmaceutical companies I have no time for. I think, you know, if you understand the way that it was sort of based off the John D. Rockefeller, mm. you know, oil fortune and, you know, going back to <clears throat> certain companies that were involved in, you know, Project Paperclip, Nazi scientists and things like that. And you know, everyone has their own opinions, but mm-hmm. I, I became very strongly tuned into just wanting to you know just be as natural as possible and big pharma has to be the most powerful fucking force on the earth doesn't it it has to be and and media have just become the watchdogs of them and you know they all corporate media has you know have bills to pay and they sell advertising and you know that's and so do google and so do all these big tech companies they all sell advertising and you know they they have an, strong opinions on what's real and what's fake news or what needs to be further investigated and yeah i mean for me now it's like that even that storyline i'm just i'm just more concerned about what i can do on on the daily or like within the season how how can i elevate myself i mean and it's sort of there's a little hip- hypocrisy in, in what I'm saying too, because I also, you know, take peptides, you know, inject inject these compounds of amino acids, and and you know, go become some sort of train myself up like some sort of super soldier, mm. <laughs> you know, like. Mm. But you know, that all has its purpose too. You know, I want it, I want my body to be, you know. Well, this, is, this is the tool you're using to try and facilitate you becoming the best version that you're trying to create for yourself, right? Yeah. 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 And balancing that with sleep and sauna, um, cold water therapy, diet, like strictly diet, just like eating as many good fats and good protein as possible. Um, you know, that's key. That's key to health. Mm. You know, like bacon and eggs or, I mean, bacon, not so much, but meat and eggs are like the basis of health and every like essentially everything that you that you know there's a there's a a script that's being played out now and it's sort of pushing um you know like agriculture that's controlled by the same people that control the pharmaceutical companies and if you don't look into the you don't look into the bottom of that and, and sort of see that there's strong connections where they just help each other out you know, you kind of you're blind to the way that you know, corporations run, and they run the world now. You know, so being being free is is being free from from that story as well, and and having like controlling your own health. And so for me, it's like health is spiritual awareness, and like the highest form of 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 that. And you know, like. In a form, it's like narcissism or it's like egotistical or delusional, but fuck, you know, like it's it's what keeps me going. 
I don't need to drink. <laughs> I, uh, I don't need to do it myself. It's, a, it's an amazing like um, paradigm to be to be thinking and and be living in compared to footy and piss all weekend. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I only just started getting back into footy, and I think it's because I support the West Coast Eagles. And until we beat Essendon, I didn't really. <laughs> but I love that win. And um, yeah, that, or, you know, I watch a bit of rugby, or I'm watching the, the tennis now. And, you know, sports are great, but, and I love my TV. I've been watching a lot of TV with this big screen TV here, and, you know, projecting these images and. You know, it's an opiate for the masses, they say, but I think sports and that, it's all that. And, you know, if it helps you sleep at night and you don't beat your wife, good on you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. What are you watching on telly? Are you watching any good shows? Uh, I mean, I just got, I love that cowboy noir sort of no. 1883 and Yellowstone and there's a new one called Outer Edges that's with um, Josh Brolin as the as the as the lead in that and it's a very that that one has a little bit more science fiction edge on Amazon it's quite good um you would have loved no country for old men then i did i did the violence was on the edge of what i find comfortable but like i mean that portrayal of fucking sociopathy, hell. How heavy was it and oh i think i think that actually um was was yeah i heard that that was the perfect like psychologists have said that guy he played the psychopath perfectly Javier. That's, yeah 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 Javier Bardem amazing but that's 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 was a flawless performance oh my god he was so frightening yeah, yeah. I didn't really like the ending I mean it wasn't very Hollywood I didn't I liked her so much too yeah it I was a very See, cowboy films, I mean, the first long feature film ever made, and, I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a film buff and people who live in L.A., they catch the bug and everyone wants, you know, I have a script or two or three up my sleeve that, you know, you have fantasies. But, um, yeah, the first feature-length film ever made was The Kelly Gang. So was it? it was here in Australia and it was done for like a budget of a thousand pounds, which, I don't know, maybe a lot of money. Is that the one with Mick Jagger in it? I'm talking about over a hundred years ago. Oh, okay. Fuck. I'm talking about like, I mean, how long? How long ago was? How long ago was Ned Kelly? Was he 1800s? I mean, uh, he'd gonna, have to have been. Well, I mean, this film he would have might been have late 18, start of 19, I'd say. Yeah, and this film would have come out around that time, if not like say 1913 or something. Shoot a shoot a date, and it sort of cost a thousand and probably. Garnered six thousand at the box office, and the government pulled it. And they're like, "This film is anti-authoritarian, and we need to get rid of it." Mm. And so they literally pulled the film early. So that film could have made squillions. And then, I mean, I think Australians do very well with that because you also have that Mad Max, which is probably one of the other larger grossing Australian films, um, and it's also that sort of you know, post-apocalyptic, anti-authoritarian, mm. ex-cop turned um, vengeance. He usually loves vengeance, that Mel Gibson, but <laughs> vengeful, vengeful sort of road warrior. Yeah. You know, it goes back. Did you like Apocalypto? I did. And I actually was, 
there is a, a line in there where he, where he talks about fear. And he says, if you have fear in your heart, you're already dead. Yeah. And it was very much about how, you know, there were these villagers who were getting overrun by this giant mine or whatever civilization they were that were just like mm. bloodthirsty. Yeah, rolling the heads down. Yeah, exactly. And so they were coming, they were going into these out of, out of smaller remote villages and collecting sacrificial lambs for their god. And um, yeah, the, I remember that line from there and it's always stuck. And it's that kind of, yeah, that's very much true. Like I think if you go through life afraid with any fear, then you're already dead. And I'd, I'd rather be foolish than than fearful. It's actually it's very thought-provoking, isn't it? Yeah. Completely. I mean, it's the same. We go back to the start of going out and surfing at Shark's dinner time <laughs> at sunset, sitting on the water looking like a dead seal or a or a dead turtle, you know, sharks have, and sharks love to, they feed at the, um, you know, in the surf. They love to, to get amongst the surf and take out the seals there. And so you're literally invoking an, an attack. Oh, there's no doubt. Don't say that. It's my favorite time to surf. I have no problem with you surfing. Everyone everyone goes surfing. And the fact that there was another person with you and that it was 80, it might have been in working your favor that he might have got taken before you <laughs> if sharks can't smell the the difference in texture and meat you'd be fine yeah. but i think um you know that's 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 foolish but it's also brave you know and i think i think bravery has that foolishness and maybe it's the you know like youth or it was also yeah. the sunset last night. I was just tripping on the colours and yeah. I was just looking at my hands. Oh, out. They've been amazing. We've had, we, we've had like LA has his sunsets and yeah, like Sydney has to, people from Sydney are going to start moving down here and, you know, we're going to start having Sydney prices just for the fact that they've had more rain in the last week than we've had in the last six months like it's, it's wild isn't it it is crazy and like they I think I think like I don't really believe in climate change to be honest I believe more in the sun and the patterns that the sun mm. creates as solar a, flares and- yeah things like and maybe our like the wobble of the of the earth we sort of shift and yeah, wobble yeah the axis tips yeah and I think we've probably moved a little bit um. Yeah, moved a little bit on the axis, so we're getting more kind of closer to Sydney weather, and Sydney's getting more kind of you know Brisbane, Queensland weather. You know that could be possible. I don't know. Well, no, we've got we've had good sunsets. Ah, uh, uh, fucked up. Well, I gotta I gotta call it. That's all right. Mate. I we can talk. do this. Sort. We can do this another time. We'll go part three. I got no worries. I, I could talk. I could keep talking. I, and I hate the fact that I, I usually don't have a time limit. Um, <laughs> well, I miss my workout, and so I'm going to have to go and swim two k's now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, and we're going to do this again. No worries. Awesome.
Well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Will Hannigan. Will, if you're listening, thank you so much for um, indulging me in the conversation and being so open and honest about your life. I know it's not easy. Um, you know, there's an element of vulnerability in speaking about oneself, how much to divulge and um, and share. And I really appreciate it and love talking to you. No doubt you will be back on the horse's mouth. I feel like we didn't quite finish that conversation. Um, um, yeah, anyway, wherever you are out there in the world, I hope you enjoy this. I won't steal any more of your time. I'll let you get on with your life. Um, and until next time, adios. Adios.